Ding, ding. Round one. <laughs> uh, what an episode, eh, Josh? Uh, mate, easily, without question, the most heated, longest podcast we've ever done. I think people should really stick with this one all the way to the end because like, just when you think that we've stopped, we go deeper, right? Yeah. And we pull it apart even yeah. further. Yeah. Um, yeah, I thought he was going to punch me at one point. I, I wasn't going to punch because I knew I'd lose that fight. But basically, <laughs> um, but basically, I there were there were moments in there where I did think, okay, we need to we need to um, cut this because it's it's going to a place that I, I don't know where it's going to go. But actually, we we sort of um, let the conversation evolve, and I think for those that you know that are regular listeners, it, they'll they'll notice a bit of a, a difference in this episode. Yeah. Yeah, we, yeah. we what did we talked about some brilliant stuff I think. Fucking hell, I can't remember. I'm just getting my <laughs> putting myself back together. We talked we started off by talking about flow state and yeah. the way that we work and then we talked about um fears. Fears and we talked about uncommon man. Yeah. Um and then we talked about then we had a fight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about the Joe Rogan and everything that comes with the Joe Rogan conversation. Um and people should listen to this episode. I think it's going to be our best one yet. Yeah. Uh, where should people find us, Josh? They should come and find us at 115 Miles Pod. Uh, leave us a review. Not on Spotify, because it's a shit platform and you can't leave reviews on there anyway. And you should get rid of all and the... You uh, should, <laughs> if you haven't downloaded the app yet, if yeah. you've not deleted it yet. Then, uh, <laughs> enjoy this episode. Uh, we'll see you all very soon. <laughs> This is 115 Miles with Josh Connolly and Hassan Kaya. Growing up 115 miles apart, our lives couldn't have been more different, but we find ourselves today with many similarities and outlooks upon life. Join us on our podcast as we take a topical dive into life, work, culture, and everything in between. Hello, Josh. <laughs> Sam, we are back in person. We have to do the little awkwardness of getting back. Looking at each other. The, looking at each other in the eye. I it's don't a bit know. weird, isn't it? I don't it? know if I can do this for an hour. Let's just talk quick and get else it done. Then, mate. At least you get to look at something handsome. I've got to look at you for an hour. You were just saying for 20 <laughs> minutes how much of a god you look like, and I was getting a bit bored of that. You, <laughs> you even took your hair out and showed me your mane. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that didn't. didn't happen. No, mate. it didn't happen. It didn't. I wish it. I wish it had. I'm just moving your mic closer, mate. Thank you. I know no one really wants to listen to you, but this is the Josh Connolly show with Hassan Kaya support. <laughs> well, that's that's certainly how it looks like from the social media footage you post. Do you know? <laughs> 115 miles. Let's just show videos of. If you uh, of edited and made any of the content, yeah, then you'd have a say, wouldn't you? And if you You're look at our, if you look at our Instagram page, it is a larger proportion of videos of you, mate. Uh, I'm looking at it now. Yeah, the one that has 300 uh, followers versus your one that has. Uh, oh, what? Sorry, on my personal. You want me to post more of you on my personal page, do you? Yeah. No, mate. I'm not posting. Teamwork you on makes my the dream work, Josh. Do you know what Leah said to me yesterday? What? She said, "I know the podcast is about." debate i know that you're like the idea of it is to debate about stuff yeah she said but don't just sit and verbally bash and bully Hass for an hour will you 
She's like, because I know what you're like when you think you're right about something. <laughs> does she say that? Yeah. She doesn't know how right she is. Oh, she does know how right she is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she tells you me just every day. Yeah, you just basically take it out on me, right? She'll just give it to you for an hour and then you just come and take it out on me. I think she knows what it's like when, when, um, like, when we debate stuff. Yeah. Like, you know, when I think I'm right about something, I'll... I don't let go, do I? I'm a, I'm a bit of the same though as well. So we just get into this thing where we almost end up feeling like, oh, we may not be friends at the end of this uh, conversation. <laughs> and then we just do a bit of a virtual man hug. A virtual now. man hug, yeah. You say, sorry, mate. I know you, uh, I realise now how right you are. I never say sorry, Josh. I realise how right you were, mate. And uh, let's hug it out and make sure that we're always friends. No, that never no, I happens. Uh, how's your week going so far? Uh, how's my week going so far? Uh, Good, mate. Good. I'm still in like really good flow of uh, managing my time, you know, with the life circumstances that we talked about in terms of how my life has changed. Um, I have to be really on it in terms of how I manage my time. And sometimes I sort of implode and it gets a little bit too much. But most of the time at the moment, particularly from like a working aspect. Yeah. I'm flying, mate. Yeah. So the impact is you've just had to uh, really balance work and life and commitments outside of work in a really different way, right? Yeah. Look, my son, who is 10, is, well, he's 11 now. Uh, my son, who is 11, has come to live with us, basically. And my elder daughter had come to live with us earlier in the year. But she's 15, so she's got like this a bus This is one pass. of your 17 children, is it? One of the 17 yeah. children. <laughs> yeah. uh, people's jaws still drop when I say six. Uh, so the eldest came to live with us. She had a, you know, she's got a bus pass and stuff. It Obviously, it changed the dynamics of the house and there was all of that. But we sort of adjusted pretty quickly. But with my son coming to live with us, who's 11, um, so he's in his final year of junior school. So I don't want to move him to a school near us yet. Um it just means that my attention is stretched on a day-to-day -day basis in terms of who's vying for my attention. You know, I've got my son into a, quickly into a football team and stuff, so he goes training a lot and there's his games and all that sort of stuff. Um, and then I have to take him to and from school and stuff. So my working day has like shrunk by up to three hours a day. Yeah, and I'm getting more done. I know I've said you that. You talked before, about flow. You talked about flow. Like, what what does what what does flow mean to you? Uh, flow is when I'm when I'm present in what I'm doing uh, without um, any interruption. And you know when you're just in it and you think, wow, I was in that, I did it start to finish and didn't stop. Yeah. Uh, and I realize how long I've not been using my flow in the work that I do, you know, since probably when I first started doing it and it was new and I was yeah. sort of naturally in my flow state. N none of us really, unless, you know, you really design it and you understand the true concept of flow. None of us really work in flow at all. No, 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 no. Because we started talking about the book that both of us are reading called Stolen Focus. And it just, there's a, there's quite a bit on flow in, in that book. And, you know, the way that we operate in life, not mm. just in the workplace, but um, in life, um, means that we, we can never really truly get into a state of flow, which is really just focusing on one thing and shutting everything else out and doing it really well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a big revelation for me in that book when uh, he talked about how, if you think that you've checked your phone even for like two seconds, yeah, how long it takes you to get back into any kind of flow state. Yeah. And I've had little moments now where I'm like, uh, I think about going to grab the phone and having a quick check or whatever. And I'm like, no, I can't afford to break 
this flow that I'm in. I can't afford to do it. I haven't got the time to do that. So I don't do it. And it's, like I say, I am, it's revolutionized. And I, you know, I say that word purposely. Uh, it's revolutionized how I work. Yeah. You know, um, when I read that book, I'm also at the same time trying to think, okay, but, you know, like, but what about real life? You know, mm. like th this guy was able to take himself off and uh, go to an island and really understand what he was, you know, what he needed to explore. And, and this stuff came out and he and he acknowledges that. And I think I'm getting to the part in the book where it does start to, you know, he starts to talk about how you can really adopt some of these things that he's talking about around focus um, mm. into your life. But um I'm guilty of it. I'll look at it and go, but I have to respond to emails in a timely fashion because that's what my clients have come to expect and from me and yeah. it's part of what makes me cutting edge for them. And, you know, they know I'm always there. And you tell yourself these stories and these narratives, right, that you have to respond to emails as they come in. And or Slack. I mean, I don't even we don't even really we don't, we don't have a Slack culture in our in our company. Yeah. Whereas if you're in a big company where everything's pinging on Slack or some sort of instant messaging and if you don't stay in touch it's like having the internal version of twitter if you don't stay in touch you become sort of obsolete people yeah. the conversation moves on without you so you're perpetually kept in this place so the idea of just taking yourself away for three hours in an environment like that is alien to so many people that they won't even entertain it won't yeah even yeah it's possibility what's the I, I saw a post on this on linkedin recently uh what's the longest you would leave an email to respond um, depends who's emailed me. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Is this going to upset some people that have nah, been waiting nah, for four nah, days? Yeah, like, where's my email? <laughs> yeah. um, most of the time, it's not because I don't want to email. It's because I've seen something come in and I haven't been able to deal with it there and then. And then I might have forgotten to email and yeah. it sort of comes back into my place. So, But but my my instinct is to respond quickly yeah. and get it off my plate. yeah. What about if an email comes in at Friday at five o'clock? I'd probably respond to it. Would you? If an email comes in at Friday at five o'clock and I finished, I won't respond till Monday. That's great. Yeah. But a lot of my clients, um, if an email comes in at five o'clock, it's just like, it's like maybe two o'clock or one o'clock in their afternoon because they're not based in the UK. I'm global as well, mate. Don't don't fucking try and like like. Oh yes, that's uh, that's good for you, but I'm, yeah, I'm global. I'm not talking about Milton Keynes. <laughs> gosh, I know you like to think Milton Keynes is global, but you know. Um, but the, it, again, it's the same old silly narratives, right? Mm. They know it's my weekend, and actually, they probably are just not expecting a response. It's yeah. this. It's nothing about the other person. It's all to do with yeah, yeah, how, yeah. how we perceive our value and our own fears. You know. Yeah. Yeah, it's it, like, it's easy for me to say now, by the way, that uh, I'll leave it till Monday. But that has come with feeling quite comfortable. Comfortable? Content. Content. Uh, when I first started this, hmm. I would have been sat there thinking, I'm going to leave it half an hour so I don't look like I've got nothing to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then I'm going to respond. And that was because... I need to try and get this work in the diary as quick as I can to pay the bills. Yeah. So like there's a, there is a certain amount of like being in a position to be able to leave it till Monday to, oh, that, that is important. That's a really interesting thing. Cause I think we all go through that when you start a business, right? yeah. you definitely like you, you have to snap at everything cause yeah. it's that fear and that scarcity. So there's an element of that truth to having to kind of, you know, respond in time when you're starting out. 
But if you could go back, you know, yeah. today, back to that Josh a few years ago and share a wisdom around how to approach stuff, what would you say? I don't know. I'd probably say email. Do the same thing. Do the same as what you're doing. Yeah. Because I was trying to build a business. It goes back to that stuff that we all, we all say about Stephen Bartlett, yeah? And the how if it costs your men. Like, if you're starting a business, it's a tough game. Yeah. And you've got to stick out amongst the crowd and you've got to, like, um, make yourself be seen. You've got to show your worth, you know? I saw somebody recently on LinkedIn that was posted a post about, you know, if somebody makes you prove yourself to them or you prove your worth, they ain't worth working with. And I think, I know you're successful in what you do, so don't forget where you came from. That's a really interesting point because I think uh, where you start out from yeah. makes a difference. So the fact that I started out having had some sort of an executive career and a yeah. network, it just I had privilege and a and a head start. Yeah, it was it was privilege that I worked for to a certain degree, and then there was a bit that was just you know part of you know being part of a network. Yeah, and so. I had more confidence, but even I was still, you know, you know, worried yeah. about that. If say um, you start from, you know, the the, the from dirt, nothing like I did, the, the dirt on someone's foot like you did, yeah. <laughs> well, you, it was true, yeah. yeah. From the um, factory, yeah. Um, nice segue. Um, uh, that then it's much harder. So you're thinking about different things, and also, I was pretty much doing what I'd been doing before. Yeah. And although you'd been doing stuff in in the space uh, with Nakoa and you know you'd been you know speaking publicly and things like that moving into the coaching and resilience work yeah in the way that you have it was it was it was doing different work right running workshops you'd never run a workshop before yeah so that yeah. was all lots of learning that you had to do so you you do have to keep your own counsel to that sort of stuff and follow your intuition yeah and you can change and evolve right so now i have to i will um I will embody a certain kind of uh, do you know who I am-ness, right? A kind of like I've grown into something now, right? So what I want to do is embody that. And I can do that kind of um, that kind of if I have to prove my worth to you, then I don't need to work with you type thing, yeah? Yeah. And uh, you're grinning at me because I said the do you know who I am-ness, right? I'm trying to think of that inner warrior part of myself that's like, no, I am somebody, right? And I'm not, you know, I don't let that part of myself become polarized where I don't care about anybody else. But yeah. I need to sometimes pull myself up and say, actually, I am somebody now in this space. Yeah. 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 But that's, that isn't who I needed to be when I wasn't somebody yeah, yeah, in yeah. the space. Yeah. I did have something, but I had to prove myself. Yeah. I couldn't say I've delivered this workshop all over the world. Right. I couldn't say that back then. I had to say, Trust me, let me prove myself and you'll see that this is of value. Yeah. We, and that's a different thing that you need to embody, yeah. right? We, we all have to do an element of that. Like, it doesn't matter. That's why you say, you, you see like somebody who's been the CEO of a massive company with loads of followers. And then like, say Jack Dorsey, when he starts his new company, he will be Jack Dorsey, but he doesn't have the might of Twitter behind him or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So you sort of, an element of that needs to be proven to, to everyone. Now, I, I smile because you try that, don't you know who I am? Uh, with me all the time <laughs> it doesn't work um but um but i think um uh the other thing around this is you're 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 more comfortable with your authentic self now than you were back then you know like there's a different version like um there's the you know with acceptance and with people 
choosing to work with you and bring you in, it gives you a level of confidence that you didn't have come, you know, when you yeah. were starting out. And yeah, so yeah. you are able to kind of say, well, the, this, this is the terms at which I work. Yeah. I don't mean the financial terms. It's just like, this is the work I want to do. This is the kind of work I do. So yeah. I say to you, you know, some people often say to us, will you do this work or will you deliver someone else's, you know, content? And we just say, no. Sorry. Yeah. Or some of them are like, can you jump through these 10 hoops? Yeah. To work with us? Yeah. Um, and also, can you reduce your cost a little bit? You yeah. Think, well, I'm not going to jump through hoops yeah. and reduce my cost. Yeah. You, but you can do what you choose. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But n not feel compelled to. And that's being, like you said, it's more comfortable as myself in the space. Yeah. Yeah. So... Yeah, it's it's like ever changing. Yeah, yeah. good. Um, I have a question for you. What is your biggest fear in life? Uh, abandonment. Yeah, probably. Like anyone in particular, or just people? In uh, abandonment from people that I seek direct attachment from. Did you want me to go this deep? Yeah. Is there something yeah. one of us is No, no, no. I'm, I'm, uh, yeah. I'm interested. Fear of abandonment of, particularly of people that I'm seeking an attachment from. Um, I think that's probably like my biggest fear. Yeah. And does, do, do, you, do you believe that stems from your dad? Yeah. I think, it, I think that can be traced back to my childhood. I mean, I say that. I say that. It's not as powerful as it once was. I live my life with a lot less fear today, a lot less fear than I used to. I want to be really clear about that. Um, but normally if I'm acting from a place of fear, it's because I'm worried about sort of rejection or being abandoned. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, ju I'm just curious because I, I, I don't, when I look at you, I don't see some, somebody that, that really seems to have any fear. You know, like there's stuff that gets in your way, of course, like with everyone else. But it, it just um, it just strikes me as something that I don't think we really think about very much as mm. people. And it's quite a it's quite a punchy word. And people always go like when I ask it in coaching, people will go fairly quickly. Oh, I don't have any fears. Yeah. And then, so I did a session yesterday where I was speaking to somebody. And so I, I don't have fears, but I'll give you risks. And then we said, we, we talked about those risks. And I said, okay, well, okay, those are the risks, okay? So this could happen or that could happen. So that's what's on his mind. And then I said, but what are the outcomes of those? Well, uh, this might happen or that might happen and that might happen. And then I said, well, what's the impact on you? Well, you know, I may be perceived in a particular way and I'm, you know, I may be considered yeah. as somebody that can't deliver. So that's a fear. Yeah. But it's it's hidden behind so many layers that we just don't even think about it. And yeah. But... What I'm saying is um, those risks are what came to mind, but actually those fears are, di are, are deep enough to um, affect your behavior. Yeah, yeah. Way of looking at life. Yeah, and I think what we do with fear, right, is when we're scared, we protect ourselves from it. So rather than being like, why am I scared, right? What am I, what am I fearful of here? And let me approach this situation in a way that makes me feel safe. Yeah. When we're scared, when we're coming from a place of fear, we we hide that part of ourselves yeah. in the way that you've just described with layers and layers and yeah. layers, right? Yeah. But actually, I think the main thing that we do when we're, when we're frightened is we become quite self-ish, right? So the word selfish, but we become 
quite involved in just ourselves, in just we forget the people around us, we forget how we should um, experience others and interact with others, and we become quite self-protecting because that's what happens when we're scared. Yeah. My my biggest fear is uh, often doing something for the first time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because you you and I have talked about one one of the parts of me is 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 control. Yeah. Like I have to be in control. Yeah. In any situation, like uh, you know, whether it's directing something or if you know if it's a situation that I'm unfamiliar with or it's putting me into a bit of anxiety, I'll put myself in, in, into control. Yeah. That might be in a social environment. If I'm not comfortable, I'll just leave. Just yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, or I won't go to it. And um, so there are things that I just build up because I don't know what the outcome might be. It could be something as simple as just, you know, never having gone to a particular restaurant or something before. Probably not that, but, you know, or, or like, you know, some, <laughs> something that I've built up as a bit of a fear in my head or or, yeah. or, or it's something that I won't have full control over. Yeah, being then, above me in fantasy leagues is a good one. Uh, no, I'm, I've been that the whole season. So yeah, I'm yeah, and you're terrified. Go on, no, no, I'm really comfortable with it. Um, but... Um, oh, like that is something that is probably something that just stops me from doing stuff yeah. often, and then and I'll just you know get into my head around it. So I'm 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 really working hard at just taking you know taking the first step and not making it about the whole thing, but just the first step, and that makes such a difference. Yeah, yeah. Do you know that that, that embodiment that I talked about earlier? I think understanding and knowing the parts of yourself, right? The more that you start to know all of the parts of yourself, the more you can start to uh, feel the fear and move move forward with it right because take it back to what i said about that do you know who i am nurse that i interact with if that and i said if that part of myself becomes polarized it's not very nice of course that's true right but in certain situations when i feel less than i know there's a part of myself that i can call on right and i can embody that part of myself and actually it helps me to move forward beyond that fear that i'm scared of right does that make sense? Mm. And then so the more that I know those parts of myself, I've got the tough guy part of myself as well, right? The kind of like overly busy intellectual part of myself. When I know those parts and I'm in control of them, when I feel certain fears, I can call on them. Yeah. And that's why when we talk about authenticity, we're talking about authenticity of all of the parts of ourselves yeah. and how we use them to experience the world. To, to, to they talk about that as uh, something called captain and crew in the coach training, actually. It's like, right, yeah, yeah. yeah, just identifying those parts of yourself. So, um, yeah, like even though uh, I know you haven't kind of done that full, you know, that that full program, um, that there's a lot of similarity in what you talk about in terms it's, of the coaching movement. Any modality that you look at, so a lot of the men's work, they will label them as, um, you'll ha you have like your warrior, your lover, your magician, uh, I don't all remember the things the you call yourself, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I embody all of them yeah, at yeah. any, all at the any same time. time. <laughs> yeah. But that, like, I know a lot. I forget the the men's work that in, that uses them them names, right? Them archetypes. Um, lots of different coaching ones will bring different uh, different like spectrums and versions of them. Internal family systems kind of lets you lets you decide who they are. That's why I like that version of it the best. Yeah. Because I think it gives you freedom to kind of really play around with it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, look, I think it's the best way to understand yourself because yeah. you start to realize that all of your parts exist for a reason. Yeah. I probably talk about this all the time. but You just mentioned men's groups, actually. I think it's it's something that we haven't really talked a lot about on the podcast, but this, this work that you've been doing over the last few months, I think it's really important. And uh, 
Yeah, I'm just going to put you on the spot there, but just tell us a little bit about this work, mate. So, look, we just created this space at the back end of last year. Me and the guys from that day, um, Rob and Mark, two incredible men um, that were looking to try and do something in this space. We sort of met through the work that we did. I did some stuff with them in that day and still do. Um, and they were like, look, you're working. It started, the first event was you're working up here doing a thing for them. I was working with one of their, their organisations that they work with. And it was like, while you're up here, should we just do a two-hour event? We'll do an in-person breath work, one of your in-person breath work sessions, and we'll bring a load of men together. Let's see if we sell any tickets. Well, we sold all 30 straight away, which is the amount that you can have at the uncommon space. Brought them together, and it was just insane. Insane. We did it again uh, the following month, and then we did the third one the following month, which was January. Um, just gone. So, no, we did one in December, January, and February. The yeah. third one was the yeah. beginning of February. Yeah. And it's just like people are having the most incredible experiences. Yeah. Like you've seen some of the videos, right? They don't even do it justice. Yeah. Um, people are coming and having experiences of releasing emotion that's been trapped in them for years and years yeah. and years. Let me talk about Ben very quickly, right? Ben won't mind me saying this. Incredible guy. Ben came to the second Uncommon Man sent by his wife, <laughs> right? Who follows me on social media. Um, he came in, he had a problem with alcohol, right? He won't mind me saying he did not look good. I mean, he did not look good. And I, 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 Physically? I, physically, he did not look in a good way. He was disheveled. Uh, he was out of the family home, right? He wasn't in the family home. His family life had completely broken down. He was basically crying as he walked in, didn't really know what to do. He didn't really know why he was there. Uh, and what we do is... Each session, we pair men off to go and do a little bit of work together, listen to each other and hold space for one another. Then we do a breathwork exercise. Ben did that. Ben did the first session. Then he signed for my Inner You, the online program that started in January. Nice plug. Uh, yeah. And then he came to Uncommon Man 3. And th the man is back in his home. Yeah. He is sober. He c You can't wipe the smile off of Ben's face. Um, it's... It's incredible to see. And that kind of captures what we're trying to do. That alongside the fact that um, I don't want it to be a load of stereotypical manly men coming together to do emotions. And that is not what it is. We've got such a wide variety of men. I've learned a lot from the gay men that have come there. Things that I didn't wouldn't have even known. I remember a guy sharing that he was sort of coming up to his mid-30s maybe. And he only started playing team sports when he was 30 because he'd been so scared about going in the locker room because he said, this makes me nearly cry when I'm talking about this, right? And I'll tell you why in a sec, but because um, he said, locker rooms are not a place for somebody like me when I was growing up. And if I cannot tell you the changing room environment and what it's done for me throughout my life, and for him to have existed for 30 years and been too scared to go in one, and he was just, you could see he was beaming because he was like, uh, team sports have changed my life. Being part of a team in the changing rooms has changed my life. Mm. And I'm here, I'm listening to this guy and I'm thinking, fuck, I never knew that. Why is it important for, like, at a meta level, why is it important for society? Um, because it's I think... This kind of work. Um, men only come to get... Men only talk about the hard stuff when they're off their nut, yeah, or at a funeral. Men never come together. There's no spaces for men to come together that's not fueled by alcohol, that's not fueled by drink, um, to come together, socialize, right? But talk about some of the stuff that's going on. Talk about being a dad. 
talking about what it means to be a young single man, talk about what it means to have just come out of a relationship that you didn't want to come out of, but that had to end. Or like men don't do that. And we sort of, I'm not one of the brigade that's like men have a hard rap and all that sort of stuff. I'm, I'm not saying that, but there's not enough spaces created that are specifically for men to do emotions. So, so what I'm pointing to is like, it's great for, it's great for the men. Yeah. Yeah, it's great for those 30 men and it's and if it and if it grows and we and we create more spaces. You and I have been doing this a long time, right? Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. we do it ourselves, but um I think that's amazing. But it has a bigger impact because actually you take that uh openness and that vulnerability and you bring it back in and you and you pay it forward. You bring Mate. it back into society. You bring it back into the home. Mate. You bring yeah. it back with your children, you bring it back with your friends, you br you you make you know, you hopefully start to create safer environments yeah. for uh, for other people, for women, for for children. Like because yeah. actually, you're not you're not you know you're not closing things up, you're not um, bottling things up, and actually, um, it doesn't solve everything. I'm not suggesting that at all, but actually, just having more people sharing gets things out into the open, and the the ugly stuff as well as the the good stuff, right? It's the yeah. ugly stuff where somebody might say, "This is what I've done, and I'm ashamed of it," and yeah. It's like it's the first pathway to redemption for a lot of people. Mate, at the last session, a bloke shared after the breathwork exercise, a bloke, we come back in the round and we say how we're feeling, what's happened. And this one guy was like, I had a big argument with my missus before we left with my wife. And he said, I'm not very good at not shouting. I'm fucking nearly crying here, man, because I'm sort of realising the um, magnitude of what we're doing. And he he was like, I, like I'm not going to go, I'm not going to shout when I get home. He's like, because I love my wife and I and I and I realized why I was upset and I'm gonna go home and talk to her. That's the ripples that we're talking about here. He's a dad, he got kids and that. And I think, you know, generalizing, uh men externalize their struggle, right? Men get angry and it becomes externalized because boys are not really allowed to cry, right? It's not it's not okay for boys to cry generalizing again women have a tendency to internalize their emotion because um if women get angry and shout when they're younger when if girls get angry and shout, they're very quickly labeled as crazy so a different space is needed generally speaking for the two um and i do like we've done three events and it's massive it's grown massive already we we can only fit 30 people in there and it has yeah. to stay intimate in the way that it is it, at, at this level we're going to branch out and do different things in the future but already there's a lot of people that, men are yearning for this and women are yearning for the men to yearn for this the second one we went round and i can tell you that 20 30 40 percent of the men said i'm here because my wife sent me mm -hmm. you know yeah so it's yeah and and and, and you know it isn't just about you know, segregating men from women in these environments, you you have mixed groups with inner you and stuff like that as well, right? Like there's a power to also doing this in a shared space. Oh, absolutely. With people from all different walks of life and, and, and things like that. Absolutely. Right? And I think both should both are needed. I yeah. do think that both are needed. I do think you need the space for anybody that identifies as a man, right? Because there's because as I say, um as soon as you sort of introduce it into mixed, it does ch it changes the dynamics of it yeah and i'm telling you now that a lot of the men wouldn't do the stuff that they're doing at this thing if they were i don't know paired off to go off, off with a woman right it just wouldn't happen there's a journey there's a journey right and for some people that journey's too too big at this stage but yeah. you know hopefully 
you know we need to be we need to be talking more um because as we know <clears throat> Uh, you know, particularly with the way that society lives, so much of it happens, so much of the conversation happens online and in a really artificial way. Yeah. And so it's things like this that really will put you with somebody. Like, the the chances are you've got somebody who supports the Tory party and somebody who supports the Labour party sitting in that room, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually that doesn't matter. At At that level of connectivity, that doesn't matter. Whereas where we are in society, it's all that matters now yeah. because you're divided. So I think like it has a it is it's it's got a really really significant part to play in 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 healing our society because our society is really broken. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it, you know, I think like you say, the the ripple effects of these spaces, creating spaces in this way, can be huge. Can yeah. be huge, and it, it's needed. It's needed more than ever. You could probably have said that at any stage of society, but it's needed more than ever. Yeah. Agreed. All right. So I'm going to read you a line from uh, a Rihanna song called Take a Bow. Do you know the song? Uh, I'll know it when you read it. Um, So I'll just get to the chorus bit. Don't tell me you're sorry because you're not. Baby, when oh, I come on, sing it, sorry man. when you got caught. No, I'm not going to sing it. Don't tell me you're sorry. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. All right. You're the singer. Okay. I can't sing. Um, I just got more minerals than you. What? what? <laughs> sorry, go on. Uh, <laughs> Don't tell me you're sorry because you're not. Um, what do you mean by you got more minerals than me? Mineral water, Volvic. Oh, I'm right. Talking. Okay, very nice. Um, what do you think I'm talking about? Don't tell me you're sorry because you're not. Baby, when I know you're only sorry you got caught. Uh... Are you talking about Joe Rogan? I'm talking about Joe <laughs> Rogan. <laughs> okay, so okay. let's do a bit of context. So um, a couple of days ago, um, Joe Rogan posted a video um, where he was saying that he was um, sincere, uh, offering his sincere and humble apologies after footage of, emerged of him repeatedly using the N-word on his hit show. Now, the context even further is that obviously, you know, uh, so Joe Rogan is probably the most successful podcaster um, outside of 115 miles. Outside of 115 miles, of course. <laughs> yes, very, very good. Um, in the world today, he had a hundred million dollar deal with Spotify recently, um, and he's famous for having f- um, fairly strong views and also for bringing on guests and having who have, you know, uh, opinions that are on you know all sides of society. Yeah. Um, but m- most recently, he has come under fire for. Uh, quote unquote, spreading COVID misinformation, but because of some of the guests that he's had on, yeah, um, all of which is uh, is uh, leading people to for to uh, for calls to boycott Spotify, um, where some artists have 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 actually taken their music off. Neil Young, Joni Mitchell, India Re, um, and I think it was actually uh, a video clip that India Re sort of posted on her channel when she said she was taking it off almost sort of indicating this is this is the man that you know that Spotify have chosen to support and what the clip was um, just to be really clear is um, spliced together from sort of 12 years of Joe Rogan um, doing his podcast not on Spotify but it was before he got his major deal um, where it, he was either making racist comments or he was using the n-word 
Well, no, it was using the N word, and then it was the he he made reference to the Ooh, Planet of the Apes. To the Planet yeah, of yeah, the yeah. Apes, okay, yeah. Yeah, good point. But but I think um, uh, the reason I read the Rihanna thing is, uh, you know, he came out and he said sorry, and he seems very genuine about it. Like it seems real. Um, but my question is, is I don't really want to go too much into the Joe Rogan thing, mm -hmm. but I want to know is does does sorry still have the same value when it is as a result of say being caught or being exposed? So I say to my kids, sorry is not a word; it's an action. So when the kids say to me, sorry, I say, uh, sorry is not a word; sorry is an action. Right. Um, no, it doesn't have the same value when it's been caught, when it's because you've been caught, though it still can have value. What I would say is in this case, uh, if you listen to, to his apology, he talks about the, the Planet of the Apes thing, which was disgusting, right? It was uh, 11, 12 years ago. Yeah. Um, How old is Joe Rogan? He's 55. 55. So he said it when he was 45. He said it when he was 45. Okay. What does that matter? He he was not a twenty-two-year-old like Molly May was, you know. Yeah. So he was he, it was learnt. It was learned. It was twelve years ago, though. Yeah. Yeah. So it had like vile, racist connotations to it. Yeah. Um, he has apologised for it. He's admitted it was awful. He actually says that after the after the context of the clip, he says, "I actually said that's a really racist thing to say, and it's not funny." I think context is important. I think Joe Rogan's comedy is comedy where he plays real near the knuckle all of the time, right? And it's right on the line. I really like comedy like Ricky Gervais that makes you go, oh, oh yeah. that was close. Yeah. I don't think you can like that comedy and then get pissed off if somebody toes the line, toes the line, and then accidentally steps over it. You can go, he's fucking gone too far there. Mm. But he toes the line. That's the kind of comedy I signed up for, right? That's what I believe. Yeah. This was 12 years ago. Okay, um, he removed it a couple of months after because he didn't like it. Yeah. So his apology was, that's racist, I'm removing it. Yeah. The N-word that he used, in, at no point was he using it in reference to somebody, yeah. calling somebody that. Yeah. In every single case, yeah. it was a reference of somebody else had used it and they were discussing the fact that somebody else had used it. Yeah. He said, for, he said in his apology, for about five years, I've yep. stopped using it and I now say the N-word. Yep. At the time, I used to just say the word because I didn't realise it was offensive just to say it. Yep. So his apology was in his actions for me. Yeah. Why He's, didn't he apologise? For, for all of that's true. Yeah. Should, should have all been yeah, true. Yeah, yeah, Why yeah. didn't he say it before this? Before he was under threat of would being cancelled. Would you? Why not? Would I'm you? not Joe Rogan. I'm asking you if you would. If you had what he had, in the world that we live in now, would you come out and say, I'm going to apologise? Why not? Pardon? If you're really sorry, why not? Because he's, done, not, he, not, he's, done, what he, he's done what he has to do. But if, By his he actions. Was, if he was sorry, genuinely, yeah. beforehand, not just because he got caught, yeah. he would have said, you know what? I said all these things and I'm really sorry and I want to, I want to say that I'm not that person anymore. But he, he did that by deleting them and changing his behaviour. Do you want me to come out and say everything that I've done in the past? Do you want me to highlight it all and say I'm sorry? Or do you want me to change my behaviour and become a better person? I'm, it's, I'm asking you the question. I would like to see somebody acknowledge their past is different 
and take a brave stand and say that wasn't who I was. Yeah. Sorry, that was who I was. I've changed. Because of the way that we live in society, that stuff's going to always exist. So they're going to come there's going to come a moment where it's going to come out. Yeah. And this stuff isn't new. These clips are, are not new. They've come up before and he hasn't apologized. The reason I think is he's getting a lot of pressure now. And I don't care, like people say Joe Rogan kind of, he has his thing, but he's getting a lot of pressure from Spotify to do this. Yeah. So why didn't why didn't he come out the last time these sort of clips were coming out? And by the way, I don't, buy, I don't buy Because he'd get cancelled. Yeah, exactly. That's why. That's why he's done. Yeah, that's it? why he's had to do the video. But his actions... If you listen to Joe Rogan's podcast, right, regularly, you'll see he, he evolves as a person all of the time. Yeah. He constantly says in his podcast, yeah. I used to say that and I was wrong. So let me ask you something. If a racist came and beat me up today, would you say, oh, it's all right, in 12 years he'll be a better person? Completely different. Why? Because he's beat you up. Okay, well, what if he came and shouted at me in the street and said and, and called me a packy? What, and then 10 years down the line, yeah. he had stopped that, yeah. changed his behavior yeah. completely. Yeah. Yeah. What, what do you want me to do to him? Do, do, you not, do you not think- Say that I don't think he should ever work again? He should never, if he releases a podcast, it should never be on Spotify? Uh, I, I don't think that that's what is being said. I think that the, the point I'm making is- Most people want him deplatformed. That is exactly what's being said. He shouldn't be on Spotify. He uh, he should be on Spotify, but what the point I'm making is he is saying sorry because he got caught. Um, and the reason that he is doing that is because he's worried not just about being cancelled, but he's worried about loss of wealth. Uh, no, I disagree. Okay. Uh, no, I don't disagree, but I don't actually think he needed to say sorry and do the video. You don't? No, I think he said sorry already. He's acted sorry by the way in which he played out. He's changed his behaviour. He doesn't do it anymore. He realises it's wrong and changed his behaviour. What do we want people to do? Do we want to keep punishing them? And like, no, every time you make a mistake, if you work in the public, public, you need to come out and publicly apologise every time. Or do we want people to change their behaviour? What do we want? Or do we want both? Do we want both? Every time somebody makes a, an honest mistake, right, or, or... Multiple times. And and profited off it and built a following off of it. And, you know, like, like you're, you're making out like he didn't profit and grow from having, you know, strong opinions. He, he said it without any regard. He does profit and grow out of strong opinions. Yeah. And I like people that have strong opinions. All right. We're having... You don't need to shout. I'm not shouting. You are. I'm not. You are. I'm, okay. So he made profit off of it for having strong opinions. Sorry, carry on. And um, I think it's justified for people to feel that Spotify had a role to play in amplifying someone's point of views. That is offensive to a lot of people. Yeah. So that's why people are calling for it. And you said to me, people, uh, in, you've said in the past, people can just not listen to him. Yeah. That's true. But when a platform... Yeah. plays a role and kind of feeds it into you because the algorithm is indiscriminate and it will feed it in. I think there's something to be said around the platform. And I think the point actually, just to get off of Joe Rogan, is I think he is genuinely sorry, Yeah. right? 
Yeah. I think he said it because of the thing. You know, I'm not saying that he hasn't changed. I'm saying he's changed. And actually, it, his apology seems heartfelt and he seems like a, a decent human being. And his whole thing is, I want to hear the other points of view. Let's not forget that actually, <laughs> this all started because he was talking about COVID and now we're talking about race. So this is this is how the, the mob mentality feeds the system. Just to move it away from Joe Rogan, actually, I just can, like, before we move on though, can I just but based on what you've just said, he's a good guy. His apology was sincere. Uh, I think he's growing and evolving. As a, what's your problem with him? Um, I'm saying that there's an issue with uh, the fact that he is uh, he's a he's a racist. Uh, Ten. Do years you think ago. he's a racist? I don't know. I don't follow him. I think uh, so you don't know. I don't. Right. So I like if you don't know if he's a racist, you don't follow him. But from what you can gather, he's a decent guy who seems to have changed. And from the apology that I've seen, yeah, right. What's the? Why don't like if you if you know based on everything you said, you think he's a bit of a knob. I think he's a bit of a knob. By the way, I don't like his views. I think his views nine times out of ten, I completely disagree with his views. Um, I think that he's quite right-sided which is you know it doesn't necessarily fall into what i believe um and i often listen to him and think what a dick when he says stuff i don't understand what why i also when i listen to a lot of gangster rap that's on spotify that talks about shooting people up right i don't mean that's particularly ideal either but i don't want it cancelled because it was a different world back then that's who they were then look at snoop dogg I don't think he wants to shoot anyone anymore because he's grown and evolved as people. I think that's what we do. I think if we take away strong views because they make us feel uncomfortable and people have the right to be offended and should be offended by what he said. But this leech mob mentality, the misinformation to bring it back just quickly to the COVID thing, the particular two podcasts that they're talking about is one where he interviewed one of the guy who's invented many of the mRNA vaccines. So he's not just a random crazy doctor. He invented the vaccines that we're using now. The other one was the one of the most leading, oh, like the most publicized cardiologist in the world ever. They just happened to have views that didn't fit the narrative. So then people say it's misinformation. Today's misinformation is tomorrow's facts. And if we're worried about, you know, giving people who give out misinformation, too much power. What about all the mainstream stuff? I think this is led by mainstream people in power because Joe Rogan's getting a bit too powerful for their liking and he's bringing an alternative view and they don't have control of what people digest. Um, look, um, look, people have strong views on Joe Rogan, right? And um, I think this is, this is what I was sort of saying to you at the weekend. When it doesn't trigger you because you're not a person of color in the same way that it triggers me. Yeah, of so, course. So, so, so as we've been clearly, people can hear that this is this is heated between us and we have opposing views. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it got it got to a point where I was trying to defend whether I thought he's a racist or not, and that's not really what I wanted to talk about today. Yeah. And you've got a strong point of view on it, but it's just never going to impact you in the same way. If like I've, I think he is probably a little bit. He has racist undertones, by the way. He's 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 changed 
maybe you know sincerely or not but like he's publicly saying yeah, yeah. he's changed and you know i was saying that i think that his his recent apology was heartfelt and then if you know i have to defend whether i think he's a racist or not but i think there's enough evidence to show that, that he has some points of view where he and i would probably wouldn't have a good time sitting around the table we're just no you ain't gonna people. be, ain't gonna be but what i'll also say is it just it just it impacts me differently yeah of course and, and, and it, you have the right for it to impact you differently and, and that's why people react so when when you're saying you know the you know altruistic logic or utopian logic is like you know people can you know grow and develop of course they can but when you have decades you know longer than decades hundreds of years of oppression that's just deep-rooted it's really hard to just go oh look that person's changed on the face of it you want to just say yeah of course that person's changed and you can see that that person's evolved mm. Who he was 10 years ago is different, but part of that is because he's grown, his following's grown, he's got more pressures and things like that. But fundamentally, he's probably grown as a human being. I can see that. But I think there is something around the notion of responsibility. Mm. Now that we live in a world where actually it isn't just like you have four TV channels anymore and you have printed newspapers, where you can almost, ha you had a more democracy about what you sort out. Now we live in a world where you're just bombarded, whether you like it or not, it shows up. I could say, I, I don't listen to Joe Rogan's podcast, yet it's on every news feed, it's in our conversation, so I can't hide from it, so then I have to have an opinion. So I think people can feel like um, they can have a point of view on whether, uh, you know, a platform like Spotify should be amplifying the voice of somebody that has such a reach. But look, let's just talk about for the fact that for the last 15 minutes, we've talked about Joe Rogan, mm. or whether he's a racist or not. Forget that. Because mm. there's a lot for, for every Joe Rogan, there's 10 other people. And you're right to kind of call, you know, people that were uh, like, you know, hip hop stars or actors or whatever that were famous in the uh, 80s and 90s for having really strong views, they're still around, right? But we're not talking about the platforms that per perpetuate these things. And it's not, I'm not even talking about giving him the platform to, uh, to have his podcast, the platforms that are feeding the conversation. So the very fact that like we, it, you know, we, we were talking about COVID misinformation, which was the story around him. And then within a few days, this video clip of racist views has been catching fire on the internet. The tech is fueling this oh, polar, yeah, polarizing point of view. So I think like, you know, do, do you think someone like a company like Spotify has a point, uh, so has a part to play in being responsible for, you know, driving the kind of the divisions around these kinds of conversations? Look, I think Spotify has a, a responsibility. Um, they've, re I, I, they just put out his content. They never made the clip. I think we lose a little bit of sight of our own responsibility to be able to do their own work, our own work on what we consume and what we take in. Um, I think we should push for change, but... Well, can I stop you there, actually? Because yeah. we're both reading this book, right? And it's futile to think that we haven't, like, that we have enough... 
autonomy now yeah. to just pull ourselves out. You have to be really, really, really aware of what's going on to be able to pull yourself out of it. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. like we're reading that 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 is happened by design. It isn't just yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's but that's probably not Spotify's fault. That's more social media than Spotify. It's same. It's the same sort of thing. Though. If you think about Spotify now, like okay, on a different level. Let's say you pick up a playlist that's been curated for you. Mm. It's it's very deliberate. It pushes you towards a certain thing. Now it might feel a little. It might not feel as yeah. That's true. So they do do that. Yeah. It's the same thing. And also, it's the same thing. Yeah. It keeps you hooked. You know, it's like it's just it, it's just you know the the execution is different from social media, but it's the same. It's it's the same thing. Yeah. Do I think they have a responsibility? Yeah. I think all of the people in positions of power have a responsibility. Um, but because it's the Joe Rogan, Joe Rogan gets loads of different types of people on his podcast. Yeah, and he grills them like he does. So he had um, Jordan Patterson Peterson on there. Yeah, I think he's an absolute prick. That bloke. Yeah, I disagree with ninety nine percent of the things that he says. He often uses um, really weak analogies that sound great and sound like they're backing them, but when you pull them apart, they're crap. And he'll use studies that are really really weak. When he was on there, uh, and I think Joe Rogan quite agrees with him, is, is in, you know, because he's similar to Joe Rogan. They're quite oppressive, quite right sided, right, um, in their views. Joe Rogan pulled him apart and kept, always stops him. What? What study's that? Where have you got that from? Let me pull that up. Let's yeah. pull it up. Yeah. That's the, he's like, that study yeah. was like of 20 people. Yeah. And then he, he says, give me more. And then he says, that analogy doesn't work, right? So I think he's a really good interviewer in that respect yeah and i think so when it comes that's why i think the problem is is we all have different views right i think we should look a hell of a lot more at the power structures that exist and the way in which we, and the way in which we're fed what science is by the way science is science is only science based on the parameters of the the capitalist society in which it exists in right when, when we say the science shows us this, you know, you get a bit further into that book that we're reading now by Johan Harry, you'll realize that so much of what we're told quote unquote wrong with us actually is hotly disputed by scientists, but we're just fed the basic narrative that gets somebody rich. Yeah. So we, the power structures are everywhere in that sense. Yeah. Um, and it almost feels a little bit like Stockholm syndrome to go after someone like Joe Rogan, who is genuinely bringing the people that are silenced. I, I think, um, there is a place in society that's needed for people like Joe Rogan, or let's let's think of James O'Brien on the other side, right? Like you, you need people that have strong points of view that uh, will challenge whatever the, the 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 current status is. Yeah, because you, we need to have that debate, and it should not be driven underground. I do not believe Joe Rogan should be driven underground. What's really interesting is I had certain conversations with people last week and they were all agreeing. And then this sort of stuff came out around the, the, the racist clips. And, and it definitely I definitely felt like, oh, I should have a point of view on this. Yeah. And I, and I know what's going on there. Look, clearly we, this is this is, a, you know, this is probably the most heated we've had a conversation, you know, and. Um, but it's important because I think, you know, what what I'm walking away leaving with is you know people can um can make mistakes earlier in life and they shouldn't be held to that for the whole mm. 
rest of their life. Mm. Um, and I think the other thing is, is you know, that, that what I was trying to point to was if, if you're saying sorry because you got caught, then that doesn't have power. If you're truly sorry, then it should really feed into everything. And you're saying, look, he's done some actions, he doesn't use the word. My question back, and I don't really want to go into it, but my thought for everyone is, what was that enough? Just by not saying sorry is a bit like I'm non-racist, not anti-racist, mm. right? And he's not saying he's an anti-racist, no. but I think the point I'm trying to say is, you know, if you're really sorry, are those actions enough, enough yeah. for what you had done in the past? That was yeah. the point I was trying to make. And I think that's a good question. <clears throat> and I would also go ask, ask all of us as people, can we do more to create a society where somebody can make huge mistakes and feel safe enough to come out and say, here's what I did and I want to change? Because yeah. I don't think we have that either. No, so no, we're both exactly. right in that sense. Yeah. Right? Well, we're always both right. Well, eventually. <laughs> eventually. <laughs> we have to be because we've got to leave here together. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awkward. All right. Let me just ask you one uh, last thing. How are we doing for time? Uh, it's quarter to 11. We're all right. Okay. Um, why is it now in society that... Um, it it makes you feel under feel hot under the collar for having a cold. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean by that? Yeah. It was honestly on the training. I felt for some people like th th like firstly about n like ninety percent of the uh, train carriage are still wearing a mask even though you don't have to anymore. Do you wear a mask? I don't wear a mask. Okay, no. cool. Uh, <laughs> we just were about to get to another fight there. Um, um, <laughs> Um, but uh, and 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 I'm not and I'm not knocking those people. That's each no, no, their no. own, right? But but, but 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 there were a few people that uh, were clearly like they had a cold or something. They were, were coughing, yeah. And and it just got really awkward because people around them were like turning away. One lady got up and left because a poor guy sitting next to me was like coughing, and he just had a dry throat. Like, yeah. And you know uh, the question is that was going through my mind is, should that guy have stayed at home and not gone to work? Or should the person who's really uncomfortable not have got on the train? Yeah. I, well, look, I think we're living in this weird, like, thing of fear, right? And we become quite selfish, right? like we said earlier. Um, but I was watching somebody on, what I think it was Instagram, who did a video, coughing on their way to work, right? Coughing, oh, I'm really rough, I've got a really bad chest, right? I don't know what it is really bad tummy, I've tested every day, so it's not COVID. I think it's just a bad case of the flu. So I'm just gonna get to work and kind of slog it out and hopefully in the next couple of days I'll be all right. And it's like, what this, like now you can have anything that's contagious as yeah. long as it's not COVID. Yeah. Do you think we'll ever get back to a world where you can be like, I'll think I've got COVID, right? But, cause I've always said all my life, right? Or all my adult life since I stopped drinking, if I feel rough, I'm like, oh, I think I've got a bit of flu setting in. I say, I'm going to go to the gym with a hoodie on and run on the treadmill and sweat it out. Sweat it out. Right? Yeah. That's what I've always yeah. said. Yeah. Do you think we'll get to a place where I'm like, oh, I reckon I've got the old COVID. I'm going to go and sweat it out. I think we will. I think we'll. I and hope and, so, man. And, and, and I think, um, the just to say, the reason I don't wear a mask is because, A, not because of, uh, I don't want to get into any topic about whether they're uh, uh, effective or not. But for me personally, um, I want to get to a place where we start to live life again, right? Mm. And so this is a very personal choice. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to say 
that I uh, I just want to start getting back into life. I, and, and we have to be the change that we want to see in the world. For, so for me, I want to live a, a life where I can see people smiling again and I can see, you know, you can see everyone's face. And so that's a that's a place I'm trying to live to. And if you know, you know, and, and if, you know, a mandate comes down again, uh, you know, we've got to wear masks, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll look at it and, you know, and, you know, if, if that's make what a needs decision, to be done, yeah. make a decision. But for now, like we, uh, for me, it's about getting on with life. Yeah, the world changes so quickly as well, right? And I think this is why another reason why I think we have to be really careful in terms of um, who we call out, how we call them out, what we do about when we call them out. I worry about the mask thing. I think there's a lot of stuff that can't necessarily be measured. I particularly think about children when they're out in supermarkets. That's when they're normally, you know, children are full of wonder and they're looking at, or we might not see it, but they're looking at all of the adults. They're looking at their facial expressions. They're taking it all in. And to not be able to see their faces, I, like I like I think we need to start having a proper conversation about that because I know a lot of, or there are people that are feeling like they probably wear a mask forever now like when they're out and about. And that I don't like the idea of that. It makes me feel uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, but the COVID stuff changes very quickly. I want to say, let me just say this quickly because it's just coming to my head. If you remember about nearly two years ago when we first started this podcast, I got my, my own little taste of cancel culture because I made a joke about Boris Johnson. I don't know if you remember. I, at the time, yeah. he'd been around shaking hands with everybody in the oh, hospital yeah, not yeah, long yeah. before he got yeah, it. Yeah, and I yeah. made a joke about it yeah. on, it was Facebook. And I haven't really used Facebook much as a result since. Yeah. Um, but somebody emailed the charity that I work with and said that I am, an, you know, that I'm an ambassador for and said, I don't think he should be. Do you really want him representing him? Look that, at this joke yeah. he's made. Yeah. I had hundreds of comments and messages from people. Yeah. No it's one of the most viral posts, wasn't it? <laughs> uh, yeah, right. <laughs> but I got a lot of flack for it, right? I wonder what percentage of those people that wanted me cancelled for making jokes about Boris Johnson and the way he was handling COVID How they have, ha yeah. have probably made jokes about it themselves yeah. publicly online since, right? Mm. So the world changes very quickly. Not to mention the fact that what I was digging him out for, my opinions have completely changed and are probably the opposite end of the spectrum myself. So I wouldn't dig him out for it now. Yeah, do you know, do you know what's really interesting is Trevor Noah talks about this on The Daily Show. It's a really good clip and I recommend people. And it's all, it's all about the Joe Rogan thing. And it's like, um, what was true then was true. And like, what's true now is true. And I yeah. think, I think um, uh, so there, there, there may have been fairly controversial views then, but actually with, you know, with proper knowledge and wisdom, you know, you know that actually that wasn't true, but in the in the moment it was true then, right? But like the um, the point is, I think um, I think as a society we've got to try and get away from this place of uh, you know cr creating uh, them and us vibes, right? So what I experienced on the train was some people being made to feel awkward because yeah. they needed to get on the train, and it, so it was the it was the us, which is we don't want to be you know, get whatever they've got. And they're probably, it's, it's, it's February, it's probably a cold. Yeah. You know, it, and, and, uh, and I just felt like we've got to get back to kind of being, you know, less dysfunctional, more humanistic, less dysfunctional. Yeah. Not even about the mask. It's really like, come on, like, you know, let's not kind of create these weird divides and make yeah. people uncomfortable. About we're trying to create a shameless society. People are so terrified of the sh feelings of shame. And we've kind of opened the door to the fact that when you feel shame, you're allowed to feel it and it's not very nice. But what we're trying to do is create a world where nobody makes us feel uncomfortable. Yeah. And that's dysfunctional. Yeah. 
that's really dysfunctional. Like, I grew up in an environment, particularly in my early years with my dad, where I had to walk on eggshells not being the one to set him off. We're in danger of creating a society like that, where we go, this person, what he says is making me feel uncomfortable, you know? And actually, let me read this quickly. We've got time. I'm going to read it because it's, uh, have you seen, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Alan Carr? Not Alan Carr. That's the chatty man, isn't it? Who's the other one? Alan Carr. Jimmy Carr. Jimmy Carr, right. Have you seen he's going to get, he's like in the midst of being cancelled. Yeah. He made a really bad joke. I've not yeah. heard the joke. Yeah. Right. Sajid Javid just uh, came out against it. Did he? Yeah. Right. It was something, to, it sounded horrific. Yeah. But Jimmy Carr's comedy is, um, again, it's right on the, it's right on the knuckle, isn't it? Yeah. Right. And he, it, it, sometimes it goes yeah. too far. Yeah. Anyway, um, he said, um, Somebody shouted, are we going to talk about uh, the Holocaust? Because that's what he made a joke about, right? And he said, we're going to talk about cancel culture, the whole thing. We're going to talk about fucking everything, people, relax. This is on a stand-up comedy he'd done after he'd been called out for this thing. The comedian opened his show by joking, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Look at that. I've already upset the, upset the non-binary community. He said, that has to be a fucking record. He later added, we are speaking, my friends, in the last chance saloon. What I am saying on this stage this evening is barely acceptable now. In ten years, fucking forget about it. You're going to be you're going to be able to tell your grandchildren about seeing this show tonight. You will say, I saw a man and he stood on a stage and he made light of serious issues. We used to call them jokes and people would laugh. Then Carr then quipped, There's a rare psychological disorder that causes people to tell inappropriate jokes, and then he tells another inappropriate one. Like, it feels like we're at this moment in time where there's certain jokes that me and you would both laugh at that would be seriously, seriously offensive to somebody that yeah. has lived a different existence to yeah. us. Yeah. And I and I'm I fear that we're getting to this dysfunctional place where you can't laugh at anything anymore because it might make somebody feel uncomfortable. Yeah. I've talked before about people that make jokes about parental drinking and how the people that I support in this space get uncomfortable and say yeah. that we should shut them down for yeah. it. Yeah. I don't think we should. Yeah. I don't think we should. Yeah. I think everybody should live their life. You know, I, one of my favorite types of humor is that walking the line like, oh my God, I feel a little bit awkward that, that I've almost laughed at that. Yeah. I, I can't, I can't have that as my favorite humor and get pissed off every time somebody steps over the line and says something that I think's a little, that makes me feel offended. Yeah, it's it's a really, it's, I mean, it's too, it's too big to get into right it now. Is, right? I know, because I've brought it up at the end. But, but, do, but what do you think about what Jimmy Carr said there? Uh, about what you just read there. Yeah, do, do forget the context of what we talked yeah, about yeah, earlier. Yeah, I don't no, want to relate it to that. Actually, no, he, he's right, and I and I agree with you. And being the person I am, I can see. I can see where the argument for um, for challenging it comes from as well. Yeah, yeah. So because, can I? Because yeah. um, it was in the in the seventies. It was par for the course to do to tell racist jokes. Yeah, and. Uh, and so it is really, really difficult to to justify that that was okay in 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 the spirit of humour, just yeah. because we like say on the edge humour. And I'm somebody also that that makes yeah. that I, I want to feel a little bit uncomfortable. And we're not alone. But where do where do you draw the line? And at some point, there's kind of a responsibility to those people who. Uh, are, are offended by it just being in the ether because it it continues to perpetuate. So it might start as a joke with one individual, but it reinforces the stereotypes. It reinforces the structures that exist. So it's kind of bigger. So I, I, I think there's uh, there's there's a good and so strong argument to be had on both sides. 
But what I do think there is, uh, um, that is really complex is the hypocrisy. Like, yeah. like you say, like, you know, I can't like this, but then have, you know, get on my soapbox about something else. And I think, again, it's multi-led and it's nuanced, right? Like I, I, I like really uh, on the edge humor, but then I feel really strongly about um, uh, racism and infrastructure. So it's, yeah. uh, it's a confusing and it's, it's place. It's such muddy water, right? Yeah. Because it, you look at the joke that he made about the non-binary people. Yeah. I'm sure non-binary people will tell you that there's yeah. loads of structures that have existed for years and years 100%. that have meant they have had yeah, to hide, right? Intersectionalism. So then, so then, so then you go, where do we where draw, do you draw the, line? the line? And and then you go, people have like binge eating disorders, right? So does my joke about eating far too much pizza last night? Right now, there's no structures behind that necessarily. Yeah. Although you could argue that we are fed structures that kind of push us to perpetuate binge eating, right? So, um, Siri, uh, Siri, don't dance. even get it. <laughs> Siri ain't even keeping up. Uh. But it's true, right? So, like when, like we always do on this podcast, and this is what I like. When you get to the heart of it, you're sort of like fucking. It makes your head hurt thinking, like, because what you say about race is right. I don't want to go back there where it's okay to rate, joke about racism, right? Yeah. But I also don't want to go over there where it's not okay to joke about anything. And 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 that I'm, and that we're aligned on. Yeah, well, I know we are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but 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 because the. But where do you draw the line? Where do you draw the line? And the Joe Rogan thing naturally, right, is going to trigger you a lot more. Yeah. Right, and you're because you're in it. It affects yeah. you. I'm like on the outside going, like almost just you know, lighting a fat one, going chill out, has yeah, man. Yeah, it's yeah. only a little bit of racism. I I I'm aware of that, right? And when yeah. we get into this muddy water bit here, yeah, that w where we've come to is where you go. Fuck, it's a minefield. Do you, do you know? And that I think that really sums it up neatly. Before we go on to reasons to be cheerful, is because what you're looking at it from is actually at a wider societal level. We need to be we need to be able to be able to have these sorts of conversations. Yeah. And then then there's someone like me that's going, yeah, I get that, and I agree, but I'm still seeing a clip of a guy that not that long ago was using uh, the N word. Um, even though he wasn't calling it someone, he was saying it in a way that would be offensive to people in yeah, yeah, America. Yeah. With the very fact that they're saying it, yeah. And so at that level, it's hitting me like in of the course. face, right? But I'm also with you at that at that uh, you know higher level, which is how do we how do we allow for debate? How do we allow for somebody to say I made a mistake? Like I, I get that, but it's still like hitting me in the face, and that's and that's where some of that energy and came it out will today, do, wouldn't right? it? Just like that non-binary one will hit somebody who identifies as non-binary square in the face, and they might even be hearing me say it and say, "Why the fuck did you read it out on the podcast?" Right? They yeah. might say that you yeah. should have fucking said that he made a nasty joke yeah. about non-binary people, yeah. right? So yeah. it, it it's such like uh, this is why I love the podcast because we go in we go deep, right? And we fucking pull it apart to the point where in the end, you're sort of, sort of both right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Or both wrong, however you want to look probably at it. Probably both wrong. Or probably like, I'm just a bit more right than you, but we've both brought good things to the table and we learn that, you know, I always know best. Reasons to be cheerful, mate. <laughs> <laughs> leaving this room, <laughs> leaving the racist behind. Um, no, I'm just kidding. You're not racist. Uh, just a little bit. <laughs> only when it's a joke. No, I'm only joking. Um, uh, my reason to be cheerful yeah. is half term week and I've booked it off next week. And for you, 
um, it's not going to be a surprise. But for everyone else, the, you know, the very fact that I proactively have taken a week out and I'm planning to do nothing other than just be with my family and have fun, um, it's a huge step forward for me because, um, you know, last year was a really good year, as I said, uh, you know, in terms of the business. And I, I left feeling like really full of achievement, but mm. I felt like there was a cost uh, for me personally. So I'm, I've just deliberately put lots of time in the diary this week just to, uh, sorry, this year just to unplug. So my reason to be cheerful is half term week with the family. Love it, mate. Love it. Uh, my reasons to be cheerful is uh, I found, I went in the living room the other day and found Leah stood in front of the bookshelf. Doesn't think self-development work is weird, right? Leah does. So she basically thinks you're weird. She yeah. does. Yeah. She, literally, yeah. she literally thinks I'm weird. And she picked up Pat Dively's book. Yeah. Uh, Pat Dively's book that came out this year. Good friend of mine. Uh, and she's reading it, mate. She's reading it and she's in it a little bit. Uh, I don't know if she'll finish it. Yeah. Uh, but the fact that she's picked it up and she's reading it, I don't know why it's a reason to be cheerful. Because <laughs> it sounds like I need my wife to do a bit of self-development work, doesn't it? Well, it's just now you know you can have a conversation or you're hoping that you can have a conversation. She's not going to like roll her eyes at you, but actually she, you think she might agree with you, but that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. She ain't going to get in the ice bath and do a breathwork session with it's me next gonna week. It's not going to happen, mate. It's not going to happen. <laughs> mate, I've enjoyed this. I'm uh, sweaty. I hope my deodorant has uh, held out. <laughs> Um, uh, yeah, yeah. It's, listen, this was uh, a really um, punchy episode from 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 uh, uh, the perspective of us both probably getting a little bit triggered or heated around the topic. But yeah. it's an important one that I think led us to a place of continued learning and con continued exploration. And we, you know, you need to dis we, you need we need to allow ourselves to disagree on things. Although in the end, we sort of agreed in the end, yeah. right? Agreed in the end. Um, so. Yeah, love it, mate. Really enjoyed it. See you next time. See you next time. Thanks again for listening to 115 Miles with Josh Connolly and Hassan Khan.